A broken vase sparks a series of unfortunate events for one couple. We got war, love, death, accusation. We got atonement on Seeing Red. Welcome back to Seeing Red, your ultimate book first movie debate podcast. I'm your host, Jim Colhane. And I'm your other host, Kelly McMurray. Maybe it's migraines, maybe it's vascular dementia. Maybe it's migraines. <laughs> migraines. 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 Who calls it migraines? With my vitamins, I will have my migraines. <laughs> Aluminium. <laughs> migraines. Uh, yeah, so if you haven't heard or known or figured it out at this point, we're doing Atonement, which is a British novel, which is always Jimmy's favorite. Yeah, Kelly likes to push the British novels on me. This British literature. <laughs> Listen. 100 greatest novels nominated by Time Magazine. So I'm not in the wrong here. You're just uncultured swine. All right. I so am. I understand that you're in the Boston area, but you can go chuck whatever book and tea you want into the harbor. I'm going to, I'll be a loyalist, I guess, on this time. I started with Zero Culture pre podcast and 18 episodes in, and I'm climbing the culture ladder. I'll get there. <laughs> I will hate every rung as I go. Yes. Old school uh, British or old school English literature is just not my cup of tea. (laughs) And I don't drink tea. Uh, You do. That's a lie. That's a bold face lie. Very occasionally. Very rarely. I know. I've been on a coffee kick myself. So like I really, I used to be a very strict tea drinker. And lately I've just been pounding the coffees. I think it's just like corporate America that it's like swallowed me whole. Yeah. It gets you. I know. I just want that's caffeine. Why we, that's why we need this English literature to bring us back <laughs> to our tea and scrumpets. Yeah, the coffee makes me feel my skeleton, but the, the literature soothes my soul and reminds exactly. me that I'll die horribly one day <laughs> without my loved ones. That's all. Just don't lie. Just don't and lie. Just, just don't, don't lie, be people. a bitch, 13-year-old girls, okay? Tone the bitch down, all right? Episode 18, we're doing Atonement. Uh, Kelly, you've recommended this a couple of times, and we finally got around to it. I know. I'm so excited. I feel like January is a perfect month for this because, sure, it's depressing, but it's a it's an acclaimed novel. It's an acclaimed mm-hmm. film. And yeah. I mean, what sounds like Atonement other than a January resolution? So, I mean, maybe our True. resolution should be to, you know, let our siblings uh, have the love life that they want. Yes, and don't wait. Five years? How long is it? Five years to finally yeah. say you're sorry? Let the let the world wars not come between them. Yeah. When you know there's like a war going on, don't <laughs> accuse people of serious acts of crime that you put, could possibly put them into a draft situation. Your brother-in-law is not a, uh, shouldn't have to go door to door saying that they're a sex offender, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless they earned it. In that case, you, sure, go ahead. Go off to war. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and also another uh, PSA along with this is go with the handwritten notes, not the ones containing the C word. Don't deliver those yes. ones. <laughs> if you're oh, good, we have, if you're good. A, we have a lot to talk about this this book and movie. This is, I said it in the intro, uh, it's a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> that is all this book is. It's, it's so all one thing twist leads to it. after twist one thing leads after twist. One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and then all of a sudden, this guy's in Dunkirk just trying to get home. You know, I find myself there all the time when I'm taking the wrong bus. 
fucking Dunkirk again. All right. Damn vase. Damn. <laughs> or is it a, a vase? A vase. I don't know. This is this is going to make her or break us. All right. So we've done enough um, prittle prattle in the beginning. Do you want to jump into some movie news? I know you have some some juicy bits. Some juicy bits. Yeah, I'm still recovering. So, uh, <laughs> Your juicy bits are still recovering from, from uh, sitting so long. Yeah, from movie day 2024 was yesterday. Woo! So six movies, one day. Great, great day. It was a, it was a re- movie day record. Movie day record. I was just going to ask, is that the most you've ever like, seen in one day? Yeah, two Jesus. theaters. Yeah, it was great. It's perfect. Perfect right, day so- for it. Give us the lowdown. I also, before you start, so Jimmy sent me the list of movies, but they also had like the times on them and, and the movie theater. And oh, I yeah. thought when you wrote food 20 minutes, it was a movie short. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Try to squeeze one more in. <laughs> just, just a little Pixar film called Food. That, uh, turns out that was just you probably like drinking whatever, a, a smash burger, pure, like, like a puree, liquefied, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of beef jerky that goes around for throughout movie day. Got to keep the protein up. This is why you have to do it at Alamo Draft House because the food is there already. I know. We wanted to try Alamo Draft House, but city movie day is tough, mm. you know, in case we have to do two locations. You have to figure out parking and all that stuff. Right. So, so there's a lot of logistics that are involved with this. It's I give credit to Pat and John who put this together because they do all the scheduling ahead of time. Yeah, something I told you when you saw the list is we don't dictate the movies, the schedule <laughs> dictates the movies. So whatever we can get in the most amount of movies will dictate what movies we're seeing. Oh, what a gamble. All right, so tell us the movies, the lineup, the rankings, the rankings yes. to other movie days, like hit me. Oh man, to other movie days, yeah. yeah. Uh, this was a good movie day, solid movie day. We had a lot of genres. So we start off with American Fiction, which was awesome. Highly recommend I didn't see the trailer for this movie. I didn't really know what it was about. I heard people recommending it a bunch of times. Uh, It's a lot of people's like top 2023 movies of the year. And so I have been wanting to watch it and it didn't disappoint. It was fantastic. It caught me off guard laughing at things that I, you know, the uncomfortable laughing. Mm hmm. It caught it got me really good a couple times on like this uncomfortable scenes that I'm just laughing at. Ooh, I and you said too. It was like a good post the color purple movie to watch. Oh yes, and also about movie adaptions, right? Yeah, it's about book adaptions, movie adaptions, how people get pulled into Hollywood, how people get pulled into being a writer to just feed the masses and just giving them what the population wants Mm. but there's a lot of i don't want to give away too much but i would recommend it a lot then we went to anyone but you was next (laughs) sydney sweeney um that one was your boilerplate rom-com just putting Uh. two hot people in a movie send them to a beautiful location for a wedding they have to trick the family into thinking they're together situation but they hate each other you know, it's so hard for straight people. <laughs> we so can't hard. just be hot together in Australia <laughs> at a lesbian wedding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forget about the lesbians in this situation. It's a real struggle to convince our family we should be together. Yeah, I. it was fine. It was your typical rom-com. It was very predictable. 
everything was very forced, I felt like. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the situations that had to come about was, like, very forced. Even them pretending to be a couple, the whole time I was thinking, do they even know what a normal couple <laughs> is supposed to act like in front of other people? I didn't understand. But it was fine. That's movie number two. I'll give it it's fine. I still think... I gave it. I think I gave it two and a half stars on Letterboxd. That's pretty... I mean, that's, I think it earned that. I think it's definitely yeah. like a 60 if we were doing yeah. like grades in school. I still feel like you should watch Euphoria because it's just so good. But I also know that like as a parent, no one should ever watch Euphoria. No, no, I'm awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I will never All watch right. Euphoria. You'll recommend Ooh, it every Jimmy. time. But Ooh. I do love me some Cindy Sweeney. So mm. so does HBO and probably yes. every movie house at this point. That girl is in everything. Yeah, the the problem I had with it is she, I really like her as an actress. Like, mm. I think she played the White Lotus really, really well, like that character really well. Yeah. And then this character, she's like a clumsy hot girl. And it's, <laughs> it's just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get that from her. You know what I mean? Like yeah. White Lotus, she's very like strong and bitchy and direct mm. and, you know, cutthroat. The- yeah. And I didn't get that from her in this role. And she kind of comes up, she has like the same face that you think she would come across that way. Yeah. I think she's too smart to be like, just being like, oh, I'm going to juggle my boobs and stick my tongue out. Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. It was fine. Uh, movie uh, number three was Iron Claw, which mm. was great. Great movie. It was gut wrenching, though. Ooh. The fact that it's a true story is wild. I don't know too much about it, and I'm not a wrestler it's, person. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not personally a wrestler, but uh, you don't yeah. wrestle in your spare time. Sometimes I have spare small town, small small town, small town arenas. Yeah, that's where Kelly's making her side hustle <laughs> on the weekends. So many ringworms and and you know chafing, but it's fine. Um, yeah, it's about a family uh, that the dad wanted to be uh, the world heavyweight champion. And then he ends up having, like, five boys, and he kind of gets all of them into wrestling to try and help them become the world heavyweight champion. Mm. It's back in, like, the Ric Flair era or when, like, WWF kind of started coming on TV and stuff like that. True story, but, man, it's sad. Oh. Sad. Imagine a gender-swapped version of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just all women? <laughs> Just all like, are they, pro are wrestling they all wrestlers? Yeah. I, I mean, I want to take it like that. But I mean, then what? I would have to give like a coin to the man, the men. And I would give them the gender swap version of The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yes. We need that. Oh, it, yeah. Like an alternate, uh, a, a alternate universe. <laughs> um, Called Paradise. Did, didn't they have like a, a Netflix show that was fairly similar where it was a bunch of women wrestlers? Oh um, yeah, um, uh, there was there was the one on Netflix which was like yeah. the '80s. It was starring yeah. uh, what's her face from Community. Yes. Oh God, I watched it too. It's not glam. That's another one. I think that's on Apple Plus. Fuck, that's gonna bother me now. I did watch it. It was, it was okay. Yeah. So yeah, I would recommend Iron Claw though. Definitely watch it. I heard um, Zac Efron's awesome. He's awesome. I got he got he definitely got me choked up a couple times. Aww. Um choke old. Which, you know, Zach Efron usually doesn't do that to me. No. So. <laughs> no. Uh Allison Bree is what Allison Bree. And what's it called? 
Uh, I'm going down the Allison Brie. Glow. Glow. I wasn't we too close. far off. Okay. I was, yeah. I was kissing cousins to that. All right. Okay, um, so. Movie number four. Right? Four? Mm. Yep. We're on to Wonka. Ugh. <laughs> which I know you're not interested at all. It's definitely not meant for your demographic. I'll say that much. <laughs> it's meant for, like, parents that want to bring their kids to the movies kind of. Gotcha. Feel. I gotcha. So it's this, very, it would like, be... childish and whimsical and yeah. fairy tale and Me and musical. Ian McEwan aren't going there anytime soon. Okay. Yeah, no. And every the currency is chocolate. And oh. the world is amazing and magical kind of thing, you know? <laughs> Something miserable bitches like me do not <laughs> want you or don't, care. You're, you're not, and it's Timothy Chalamet singing, so you're not going <sighs> to. How's the singing? Good. The music's yeah. good. The writing's good. It's, uh, I thought it was very clever. It's a cool story, considering, you know, they had to come up with a prequel for this book, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So I thought that was interesting to come up with like their own storyline of how they got to here, you know? Yeah. So I thought it was good. Okay. Was uh, Kylie Jenner in there as a Oopa Loopa? No. <laughs> Big miss. Big miss. Big miss. Big miss. I thought that's how they met. Um, All right. So what was the, and then there's one more movie or two more movies. Two, yeah, two more. more movies. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I called Nikki at six <laughs> and she was like, Wait, how many more movies do you have left? I still, I said, I still had three because we had ah. Waka at six, and then Night Swim at eight something, and then Ferrari at ten thirty. So then we had Night Swim. That was another boilerplate horror movie. I didn't think it was very good. Yeah, there wasn't really anything to it. I was like, we've seen some pretty good horror movies recently. What was the one that you really like that we talk about a lot? Talk to that me. That was on HBO. No, that one was good too. That was on HBO. Crazy ending, crazy wild ending, with the head, the back of the head, and just running through the prison. Why am I not getting this? I am so sorry. Let's play charades what's a little called, bit longer. What's it called when they have like um, back of the head, like a tumor? Oh, a, uh, like a. You love this movie too. <laughs> what the fuck movie is this? People ask us Do I have am I missing the back of my head right now? Is this like you're trying to tell me something? Remember the the thing was in the back of the woman's head? Like and, like and she was like she was oh, sleepwalking. Oh, malignant. Malignant. Thank you. <laughs> oh my god. Somebody asked me recently if we uh script out our podcast and if we do takes. <laughs> this is the perfect example of we do well, not do any do takes. Not. This is straight off the cuff. What you hear is what you get. Well, you could have said anything other than the thing on the back of her head. I was like, is it a hole? Is it bigger than no, a No, remember box? she had like that face? Yeah, it was like, like her unborn twin or kind of her born. Yeah. Her, yeah. Oh, what is that called? It's a different type of tumor. I know what you're talking about now. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank all right, you. I'm anyway. Sorry. Yeah. But isn't that James Wan though too? Yes. Okay. So that was my point. <laughs> There's been a lot of good horror movies lately. This one was a miss. Not a lot happens. It's very oh. predictable. Um, it's about a pool like, that yeah. kidnaps people. Oh. So, yeah. That, uh, how can Night that concept swim. fail? I was going to laugh because, well, two things. One, I feel like Are You Afraid of the Dark already did it and did it well with yeah. that episode with the ghost in the, the pool. And then they, do, they 
Very similar. That's, Very similar. That's kind of what I was feeling. I was like, someone's cherry picking Are You Afraid of the Dark again? And the second thing is that a coworker today was telling me about a book talk book she had seen because we were discussing like smut on the internet. And she was telling me about this book about a sentient door having a love affair with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is a movie? This is a book. Oh, a book. Maybe Jimmy. a future movie. <laughs> Listen, I'll make it if I have to. <laughs> we just have to have it on the pod. It just has to be converted. I want to interview the door who inspired it all. All right. Um, so Night Swim, fail. All right. Fail. The last. Bottom of the list. Uh, movie number six was Ferrari, which is Adam Driver just putting on a very thick Italian accent. Living up to his and, last name. Yeah. Driver. <laughs> I got you. Just for the audience, in case you weren't wondering the joke there. <laughs> this is what happens when you win. When you watch an, an Oscar-winning film and do a book that is the 100 top greatest books of all time, is you talk about Adam Driver in Ferrari. <laughs> and the fact that his last name is Driver, and he was in a movie called Ferrari. <laughs> Ferrari was good. I, I'd say check it out. It was, it was a decent movie. Definitely was not the top of the needed? day. Like, what was it even, who cares, is my question. Yeah, it was a kind of an interesting story, okay. I guess. Right. You know, there's a pretty gruesome crash scene that I will pre-warn anyone going to see this movie. It is pretty gory. Ooh. Is it as I good? was totally unexpected. Totally unexpected. So, like, I don't often think about... There's certain fields of, like, horrific murders and stuff that I don't try and occupy my mind with. But whenever I saw, what was it, Death Proof by Quentin Tarantino, which is probably one of my favorites of his, that scene. <laughs> <laughs> this A, it passed the Bechdel test. But that scene where they all die in the car, and, like, it's each girl's individual way of dying in the car, I just think about that a lot. So, I, I don't know. Don't put well, your was, uh, feet on the dashboard, ladies. This was a quick one, but it was the death toll in movie day was pretty high overall. <laughs> the only it, movie that didn't have any death was anyone but you, but it mm. is mentioned. So, <gasps> ooh, and it eluded murder. Uh, no, just somebody's family member passed away a long time ago before they got met as a couple, and you know how that goes. Wow. Just spilling your heart Deep out. Deep history to put on your Tinder profile. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was, and it wasn't like action scene. It wasn't like action movie death where there's just like faceless victims of like explosions happening mm. everywhere. It was like, I'm going to show you this family and then I'm going to have you watch them die. Oh my God. Yeah, a lot of that. Oh. It was rough. Rough day. I mean, like, we do love our children murder in our book podcast. That's true. <laughs> so why our not book club. vehicular murder in uh, movies? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it reminds me. So I I've told you how I've been on, like, a um, nonfiction book spree lately. And one of them has been The Body Keeps the Score, which discusses a lot about, like, trauma and how your body holds trauma. But one of the stories really fucked me up. And it was about, like, I guess this one of the most devastating traffic accidents in canada where fog slinked in like in 30 seconds and blocked like visibility on a highway and mm. it was like a i think they said 60 car pileup 
So it was just, it was absolute fuckery. And they were discussing how this one couple, they got stuck in their car and they watched a girl burn to death in the car on top of them. Oh my God. And then this couple, like, like someone had to like basically ply them out of their car. But the one woman froze while the other guy constantly lives in a hyper state of just like reenacting it in his mind. And it's just, it was a discussion about like how they both handled it. So what I came away with that is I don't ever want to drive. (laughs) (laughs) And and reading nonfiction leads to more trauma. So (laughs) well, what's crazy about Ferrari, I thought is they have this race like all through Italy, pretty much. Uh, It's a very long race. And there's sections where people can stand by and watch it, the cars come by and stuff. But these mm-hmm. people are right at the edge of these corners and bends of where these cars are driving 170 miles an hour. And I'm, I'm just like, just take like a couple steps. Just back. asking You'll for it. Car. You'll also at, see the car for a nanosecond. It's just going to fly by so fast. Stop victim blaming, Jimmy. <laughs> You're like, did you see what yeah. they were wearing? They were wearing checkered, black and white checkered dresses. Yeah. Put a bullseye on them. <laughs> it was rough. It was a rough scene. But as far as top movies, it was definitely uh, American Fiction and Iron Claw were the top movies of the day. For sure. American Fiction was my favorite to watch. Iron Claw was probably the best made movie of the day. Mm. So, which is a difference. I've noticed yeah. like last year in our movie day, we saw The Whale, but which is probably the best made movie. But The Menu was my favorite movie of that year. Yeah, I can't believe it's been a year since then. Yeah, uh, so I joined Movie Day in 2019. They've been doing it since 2015. So since I joined, I'd say my favorite year was probably my first year, which was Richard Jewell, Uncut Gems, Jumanji 2, A Star Wars, and Knives Out. That's a pretty solid, I liked Richard Jewell. It surprised me how much I liked that movie. It was a solid day. It was a solid list. Mm. Last year was pretty good, too. That one had Avatar, The Menu, The Whale, House Party, and Megan. <laughs> Never forget. <laughs> Megan was great. Megan's great. I, I still, I stand by that. I prefer, I prefer Megan over Night Swim. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because with horror, you really, if you're going to do that kind of horror, you kind of need like a, the kind of villain that stands out and is iconic. And Megan had that. Yeah, I also knew Night Swim was going to be a miss when it came on and said it was PG-13. Oh, And I was like, this is just going to be a miss. Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. That's like, that just like pisses me off. And it's probably like two hours long for no fucking reason, too. Yeah, I think it was, actually. Why? (laughs) It bothers me. Let me just just double check. Oh, my God. Well, we also can talk about the Golden Globes. (laughs) I don't know why I just was like, Globes. Oh, Maybe we can save that. Because we got we just talked about a lot of movies right there. We did. And I don't I mean I've been watching a lot of movies, Any, but I can save it for the next pod too. How many what movies have you seen recently? Tell I've me about I've seen them. Eileen, which I really liked. That's based on the Ooh, novel. I want to see Eileen. I like to see that. Anne Hathaway with blonde hair. Yep. Yep. Can't go wrong. Then there was we saw the prequels to the Hunger Games, the Oh, yeah. Was it Snakes and Snowbirds? Or yeah. <laughs> Snowbirds in the Florida? I saw that, too. It was okay. It was very yeah. long, and there was a lot to it. Yeah, you think it's, like, over, and then there's but a whole other hour. I hate that. Yeah. And it turned into, like, a very different movie in the second half. Yeah, very different. I kind of liked that second half part, 
more because it was darker Hunger games yeah, yeah i i agree with that because like it was actually a pretty dark and interesting world that they built for like the prequel of it and i think it did better world building in the second half the hunger games part where they actually were battling it was just kind of i don't know it's not as exciting it's just like a bunch of yeah but they have to throw it in there well yeah i mean like you gotta if you have kids on your hands you gotta throw them into a death match right exactly they're they're nominated yeah but i'm excited to see the movies that are coming out um i'm going to the movies tomorrow to see all of us strangers which i'm also really excited to see. oh i heard that's good too yeah, I'm not going to see six movies tomorrow, but I certainly not everyone seeing... can. <laughs> I don't have the physical endurance to do it. I I wish there was such a thing as Kelly's version of movie day for books, but there's really no way to. Pull this that is off. why movies are better. You're not going no, to six no. movies, six books in one day. I'm sorry that you sat on your ass for <laughs> 24 hours. Listen, I haven't done that in like three years, so. This is true. Except, I except for movie day, except for movie day. That's Listen. the only day I just get peace and quiet and pajamas and movies. Uh, see, it's like your Overlook Hotel. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> just leave the family at home and just lock yourself in and, it's, and just enjoy their show. It's great. Yeah. But I, I mean, talk. no one should talk. And you know what's great about movie day, too, is we do it in the middle of the week, and we have the whole theater to ourselves, usually. Ooh. So the only, thea- the only theater that was pretty packed was Anyone But You. Oh, that says was so on- much. <laughs> it was on at, like, 3 o'clock or 2.30, and I think school had gotten out, and it was just <laughs> me and three other dads <laughs> with, like, I don't know, 20 20- high school girls in the theater it oh was that's so d- weird not, not cool <laughs> but it was it was better than last year when, or two years ago when we saw sing two and it was just us and then there's a bunch of kids yeah i mean like you really have to make sure that you don't end up like robbie turner yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bring a child with you to the movies sort of like Chuck i'm dying e. to talk about this book i'm dying to talk about oh we're already kind of getting into it yeah no i wish for like book news wise that i know that two bookstores well one has already opened and this one is a newer one but there's a book bar and cafe that's two locations that are now in new york city you know i like those i loves me them too so there's the book bar i think it's literally just called book bar and that's in the east village and then there Mm -hmm. is the one that just opened which is called bibliotheque and that is in soho so i mean i'm not saying that it's going to be comparable to movie day, but I'm willing to do a book bar crawl with everybody. And while everyone else does, you know, whatever, gets cirrhosis, I will gladly just purchase $200 worth of novels. That sounds good to me. Let me know when. I'll be there. All right. Cool. Just let me know because, I mean, I've tried to do this before and then I I drank like a whole bottle of wine. So I'm not encouraging that part of it. But I think it is like a lot of fun to go to different bookstores and there's a whole bunch of really cool ones in the city. So maybe I just need to organize a book crawl event where... Yeah, I love that idea. Right? You're not invited. Fuck you. What? (laughs) What? Where was my movie invite? Kelly, I'd invite you to movie day every year, but there's no chance you're sitting through anyone but you. You got to commit to movie day. I I don't know what that says about me as a caliber of person. (laughs) (laughs) Probably good. It's probably more of a compliment. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that tip of the hat right there. Yeah, no, I would love to do that. So there's those two bookstores. Definitely really cool about that. 
And then, I don't know, I'm just getting deep into Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, you're which, getting ready for February. Yeah, I'm getting ready for February. I have a few books I have to read for this podcast. And Love some is in them, the air. Oh, God, no, it's not. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will say that I will not be listening to that one on Audible. I know I was telling you about that, but I just don't think I can withdraw the embarrassment of listening to the voice acting coupled yeah, with I, the... I'm, understandable oof man i mean i could do it at work but i feel like that's just gonna maybe make me a better worker and i don't want to do that i'd be just absolute what kind of socialist um, would i be yeah. started 50 shades of gray because i literally just finished atonement a half an hour before we started recording. <laughs> putting the litter airy in literally yeah that's right uh, i'm very proud um, of you for but finishing you, you've been sending me a lot of book store recommendations around new york recently on on instagram i noticed yeah, so there's so definitely a lot those. yeah a lot coming up so if you see any feel free to post okay Give I a will, shout out. i'll certainly do that and i'll organize a brigade of um people to go book crawling with me and love maybe it. we can do like genres per bookstore you know who would love that my movie day guys fuck them too <laughs> <laughs> Except for Pat, he's on Patreon, so he can do whatever he wants. I did, I did though, and this is, maybe it's because it's the book, but I walked my skinny ass into McNally Jackson Bookstore in Rockefeller Center and bought a physical copy of Fifty Shades of Grey, and sure, it's shameful, and it lessened me as a human being, but I think that's the point of the book, (laughs) so I went to one of the... the Yeah, one of the guys at the bookstore. And I was like, hi. He's like, hello. And I was like, let me just preface this with, I am not proud of these books. (laughs) (laughs) And he raised an eyebrow and looked at me. And I was like, yes. And so I, at first I asked for The Cuckoo's Calling, which is uh, the book we'll be doing in March. And I'm not ashamed of that. That's fine. But then I followed it with Fifty Shades of Grey, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he's like, I'll get that for you. (laughs) A great pairing. Truly, truly. It's like cheese and wine. Um, What is her genre? I don't understand what this woman is into. Yeah, he didn't know where to place me. And then he tried to be really nice about it. He's like, you don't have to be embarrassed about this. And then I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we just ignored that. (laughs) I was like, no. Never judge. Never judge. It's me. But I do like to read, when I do pick up a new book, I want to, or if I'm going to read a new book, I like to read the physical copy. So I think it's important to do that. Yeah. And yeah, like I said in the last pod, it's a beautiful bookstore. So I don't, I'm not too ashamed. Whatever. They can think whatever they want about me. Well, you just got to let them know you run a podcast. Yeah. I'll I'll tell them that. And then I'll ask for that sentient book, sexy story, and they'll know all about me. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, that should have been the love story of February. It should have been. They'd be like, please, ma'am, never go into the children's section. (laughs) (laughs) You put down the hungry caterpillar right now. (laughs) You reference that hungry caterpillar a lot. Sorry, good night, moon. Is that better? (laughs) You want the Bernstein bears? I don't know what you want, Jimmy. Okay. So, fish. (laughs) Redfish, two fish, three fish. Sexy fish? I don't know. Sure. I don't know. There's fishes. There's there's plenty of fish in the sea. All right. Well, how about we talk about atonement before I lose my atonement. memory and all sense of living here? Yes. Get let's let's go over atonement. What is atonement about, Kelly? What is an atonement? Who is an atonement? Atonement, published 2001 by Ian McEwen. Um 
It didn't really win. It was, sh- what was it? I don't know. If I only could get my thoughts together, like Briny Talis. It was shortlisted for the Booker <laughs> Prize. This is Ian McEwen's eighth op- novel. It's his favorite, he's admitted to. He actually won the Booker Prize for Amsterdam, which was the book right before this one. I've read Amsterdam. It is good, but I think this one's way better. So what is there to say about Ian McEwen? He actually earned the pen name or nickname Ian Macabre, which I thought was really cute because his first two books were pretty disgusting. And I guess like people thought he was a dirty old man. So he's kind of uh, deviated from that from since then. But he's pretty classic as a British writer. This book, as I've said already, was voted by Time Magazine as the best book of 2002 and also as 100 Greatest Novels of All Time. So it's pretty highly ranked, and I mean, it's referenced pretty often, and a lot of authors do stand by it as a novel. Dare I go into the back cover? Are there any other books that he's done that's been a movie, or is this the only There's a few other ones. I don't know them off the top of my head, but one of his earlier novels, I think two of his earlier novels were actually made into a movie, and then he had another movie that was published after atonement and that also had Shirsha Ronan in it as well so he's Mm. done a couple he's also a screenwriter he's actually worked on a few others I think there was one movie that he worked on that I was kind of surprised by but it was pretty good so yeah he he has screenwriter as one of his uh on his cv but let's hear what atonement by Ian McEwen is about Ian McEwen's symphonic novel of love and war, childhood and class, guilt and forgiveness combines all the satisfaction of the superb narrative with the provocation provocation we have come to expect from this master of English prose. On a summer day in 1935, 13-year-old Bryony Tallis witnesses the flirtation (laughs) between her older sister Cecilia and Robbie Turner, the son of a servant. But Bryony's incomplete grasp of adult motives and her precocious imagination bring about a crime that will change all their lives, a crime whose repercussions atonement follows through the chaos and carnage of World War II and into the close of the 20th century. Putting it mildly, or at least less florid than Ian McEwen wrote it as. <laughs> it's, it's definitely prose forward. Let me put it this way. If you're picking up this book, it's good to th- be familiar with Virginia Woolf <laughs> and her writing style because it's a lot of internal, di- like not dialogue, but internal narrative. And for the most part, it follows, it's it's a book of three parts. And it follows the internal monologues of uh, Bryony Tallis, Cecilia Tallis, Emily Tallis, Robbie Turner, and then a few other characters throughout the book. So sometimes it'll be one person's perspective and then shift into another person's perspective. And it's very easy to kind of get lost, I think, reading this and probably even harder when listening to it on Audible because there is a lot of detail going into it and it's almost like a tr- like a train of thought. So a lot of moments you'll be listening about how somebody is perceiving dinner getting made and then that turns into a memory and that memory goes into a feeling that they've had into their expectation or a fantasy that they have about something else. So it's a a stream of consciousness. (laughs) I think it's absolutely beautifully written. And I think like what he does to capture what subconsciously I think a lot of us do and the narratives that we have is fucking fascinating. And as I said, it's a book in three parts. So the first part is about the flirtation at the Talis uh, household. And that goes into part two, which takes place after this. I think about five years later, 
between Dunkirk and the war in France in World War uh, to wartime England, uh, London to be specific. And then the third part is really just kind of the most depressing thing you'll ever read of 1999 London. I don't know. Do you want to talk about this, Jimmy? <laughs> thoughts? Feelings? Lots, <laughs> lots of thoughts. So how this kind of plays out, I just want to, uh, for anyone that hasn't read this or seen this, go read it and see it first and then come back and listen to this podcast. But because we're going to go through all of the spoilers, but pretty much what happens is starts off with this couple, not really a couple. They're kind of flirting, right? He's the son of the housemaiden. Yeah. Right? And she's, she lives there and they, he breaks a vase or a vase and he, <laughs> they get into this big fight about it. And then he decides to write a letter apologizing. Now, a couple things with the letter. <laughs> First off, what I don't understand is he writes the letter and then he writes multiple letters. Like, he writes a letter as like a joke or something, right? Yeah, he just like taps into his literature education and is like, you know what I'm going to do is the most James Joycey thing I can ever think of and just write of sexual euphemism twice on a piece of paper and say, I want to fuck you. <laughs> and right. I'm going to be and like, he writes, what an apology. And he just happens to be studying medicine. So he writes mm. it on a piece of paper that has a picture of the vagina. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, that'd be too silly. But he doesn't <laughs> like get rid of that letter. He just like puts it carefully to the side. And then mm. he handwrites the letter that he actually wants to write to Cecilia of apologizing for breaking the vase. But then he mistakenly puts in the wrong letter in the envelope. He doesn't think to, like, double-check that, you know, I did write the C word a couple of times a minute ago. <laughs> Let me just double-check I have the right letter. Did I Did I spell that right? Is there an O in there? <laughs> so then he goes and he delivers the letter, not to Cecilia, but to her 13-year-old younger sister, mm. who's all about the goss. Yeah. Uh, living for the goss a hot tea is piping for briny talus yes she he's like don't open this letter just deliver this direct to your sister <laughs> so she runs off and he of course she opens it and reads it sees the c word sees the picture of the vagina and freaks there's out. no picture of the he didn't tear out the vagina picture and stuff it in there though he left he wrote he on left it. the no he, well he it was okay so let's <laughs> I mean, it'd be really cool if he just put a medical picture of a vagina <laughs> inside no, of a sexual note. No, but isn't that the page he used to type no, the letter? No, no. He just, like, typed... <laughs> no, Jimmy. <laughs> That'd be But they were cooler. describing it. They were describing they it, it. Because that was where he left the actual letter that he was meant to send, which was the handwritten one being like, so sorry about your vase. I, I can't blame the heat. I, you know, I apologize profusely. And then he wow, took that I piece missed. of paper, left it on top of the vagina, ironically, and then was like, hmm, got what, it. what got rhymes it. with bunt? I'm going to put that in this envelope and give it to um, yes. emotionally mature people to read. Not to yes. mention, that would be mortifying enough as it is to give that to your crush, right. you know, especially when right. there's like your mom's employed and like your and her father is the one paying your tuition for medical school. Exactly. Like tread carefully, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if you're going to drop the C word, you know, just think about the repercussions. Or maybe just go in person and apologize. Yeah. 
And then, it's you know, just kiss her there and, and I don't know, whisper sweet nothings into her ear in the bookstore or the library. What a lovely place to do that at your family household while there's yeah. a uh, party. Dinner party happening. <laughs> so she delivers the letter to her sister after reading it. Now she has all this preconceived notions of who this person is. She thinks mm. he's like a psycho and maniac. Uh, what you call maniac. That's what she calls him, a maniac. So anyway, the dinner party happens. He comes over. She He apologizes for even writing the letter and giving her the wrong one. And then they just kind of hook up in the library. Yeah. And the little sister walks in on them having sex in the library. So now the maniac level just increases again because it looks like he's hurting her from mm-hmm. her angle. Anyway, they go <laughs> to the dinner party. They stop doing their business, go back to the dinner party. Then there's a, two kids, the twins, end up leaving. So they go on a search party to go find these kids. And while the 13-year-old is out looking for the kids, she comes upon this other, her cousin, be having sex with a no, very that mature is, person. <laughs> that is not what was happening. It was... It was abuse. It was, it was flat out... It was abuse, yeah. The R word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and she was like, hmm, I think I know who that person is. And then she just superimposes everything she's experienced that day about Robbie and her sister's sexuality and is like, oh, well, he must be ravaging my cousin as well. And then basically, um, you know, Salem witch trials him and he gets arrested. And a couple years later, World War II breaks out. And they're like, you can get out of prison if we send you to war instead. So this guy's life, yeah. supposed to be a doctor, was at the highest of highs. He was banging his best friend all his life. Yep. Got the love off his chest. And then next thing he knows, he's in, you know, the north of France. Yeah. Septicemia. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's just, so, way to swan die. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Couple questions. If, if as long as um, it's not about that fucking medical vagina, <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. If he doesn't break this vase, none of this happens, right? Yeah, I think it's just like stay away from the good porcelain is really the like, class lesson that we can all pull also, from this. If you if you owned a vase, right, mm-hmm. and you're trying to put flowers into it, okay. I wouldn't be like trying to rip it out of your hands, being like, "Let me do it for you," <laughs> like. I didn't understand that. It's all about uh, the sexual tension, like there, it, like, and the it, class. The, the sexual tensions was steaming. <laughs> it was heavy. But I like to, okay. So if we could already start to get into discrepancies, what I love about this novel is that it's so easy to like reduce a lot of this and be like, oh, the sexual tension, and this person knows what they're doing, and this person knows what they're doing. I think following this novel and why it's so remarkable to me is that it's such an accurate depiction of everyone's internal monologue and how we're not even aware of what we are doing and how what we're thinking influences what we're perceiving. So we can see something, but like what you don't really know is that in the back of my mind, I'm reliving a memory or I'm thinking about something or I'm judging a person based on a thought and a memory. And that all of that's so colored by my, my, my pathos on the inside, you know, that that says so much too about Bryony that, yeah, of course she's a young girl and doesn't understand sexual content and is entering into a world where love isn't cut or dry, but even the couple of 
um, Cecilia and Robbie, they figure out that they love each other during mm-hmm. that breakage of the vase. Yeah. You know, like there's always this sort of like they didn't understand why they were getting on each other's nerves and they were allowing their class difference and like all this other kind of stuff to kind of sh- shroud that for enough. But that one moment where he sees her wet and she gets mad yeah. enough at wet because she jumps into the fountain, not because of anything else, even though he writes about it in his letter. Um, yeah. She comes out of it, too. And yeah. she's so mad and frustrated about him that she starts to realize there might be something here as well, because why am I so flustered? I think it's just a really beautiful way to see that. And I think it's a cool way to cover nuance because I think that's also the problem here is that it it seems like these are cut and dry situations. Like even World War II, like there's evil and bad and all this other kind of stuff, but it's all about perception and it's all about subconsciously what we're playing out and how we color each other's uh, motives by our own. And, to get back to Briny, Briny is like your perfect example of like a young Taylor Swift meets um, uh, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like I feel like that's her like <laughs> her likability. She, <laughs> she's ambitious, pretentious. Uh, she's she wants to control things. She's at that time of her life where like she's still she's she's not she's not a girl, but not quite a woman. She's in her Britney Spears era, and yes. she doesn't yes. understand what's going around her. She and, doesn't like, understand. She doesn't yeah. get it. And the thing is that, we, like, it talks a she, lot about yeah, how she loves control. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. her need to control things, like, it shows, no, I, like, how she organizes her room and her toys and how she wants to write a play. And then she decides that a play is too much because you have to involve other people and other people suck. And that maybe she should just stick to writing because at least when you write something, it's almost telepathically communicated to somebody versus when you write a play, um, you have to depend on an actor. And I think that kind of talks about the whole narrative of this novel too. But I just think it's so interesting to see all the thoughts that are going on in each character's minds and people that you would probably fucking hate, like Emily Tallis, the mother, Mm-hmm. Is it is kind of a trash bag of a human being. Like she's she's just riddled with migraines, and what ends up happening migraines. is that uh, migraines. <laughs> it's not an. Don't put the I in migraine. It's a migraine. M- mother has another migraine. Mother has a migraine. She's just she is of a different era where she doesn't believe women should be educated. <laughs> Because she's constantly writing on Cecilia for reading books and smoking cigarettes like a loose woman would. Um, But Emily, it's interesting to see her perspective. And I think that, like, it fleshes out the story a lot more to see Emily talking about her way of seeing the world and how it's so easy for situations like this to become like a powder keg where everyone's Mm -hmm. saying something differently and you're already making assumptions flying into this she's already got an issue with her sister's children because they remind her so much of her sister who's like the flightier cooler one and that influences how when um what's her face the poor girl that ends up getting like molested lola lola when lola gets you know like molested by the 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 fake chocolatier uh, Willy Wonka incarnate, who doesn't even use real chocolate in his chocolate bars. I love that. Like, this guy is just an industrialist, like, war profiteer. I'm going to make fake chocolate and sell it to people. And I'm also maybe a pedophile. Like, he's just a piece of shit. 
Yeah, I can just go on. I just like, I think how they also handled how the situation between Briny and Lola when Briny finds them and Lola's like in shock because she's just been attacked and doesn't know how to explain what's just happened to her because she's only 15. She's still a girl. And Briny is so quick to, you know, like, as most girls do, want to perform and be like the best and be like, oh, I'll help you. I know how to do it. I'm a people pleaser and tries to give all the answers to Lola by saying it was Robbie. And I think mm-hmm. through seeing it through the both their lenses of like Lola not coming to grips with what happened to her, to feeling shame, to just being in shock and Bryony being so quick to please and also just angry at what happened between Robbie and Cecilia how someone can get blamed for a rape when they didn't do it. And I think that's why this is, I was, it's amazing to try to make this a movie is all I'm trying to say, because this is such an internal novel that everything Mm -hmm. that's happening is happening inside and seeing the world, especially world war two through the eyes of these people is really unique and beautiful because the entire war scene I thought was a very intimate look at what, losing and retreating in France in World War II before before the Americans swooped in and saved us all. Um, <laughs> remember that, England? That and also just like how Briny and Cecilia both turned to nursing to take care of it and just seeing like what nursing would have been like back then and the horrors that are there as well. It's just it's just an interesting thing. But I'm, I'm deviating too much from there. What I mean to say is that I think this is a battle of egos and yeah. I think... It's so easy to be like, oh, well, Briny fucked up and it ruined people's lives. But I don't I think it was one of the most innocent mistakes. And to see how that over decades and generations, like not generations, but decades and decades and decades get worse and worse and worse. And to see how humans can regret something that's so innocent and then <laughs> to just suffer something where you want to give back to the people that you've harmed, like your sister and your possible would have been brother-in-law of a Mia Copa to just be like, I, the only thing I have are words and I'm about to lose them. And my whole fucking memory and mind, which is my only means of survival, I'm going to take that and give them back the one thing I took from them. And I think that's just like absolutely gut wrenching. I cry Mm -hmm. every time I watch the movie. I did see the movie first. So reading this book was an experience because I thought it was just so fleshed out, so in depth, so, I, I want to keep going to the word nuance because it is beautiful about the things that they talk about and how they talk about it. But the ending also, I thought, is really powerful because rather than be on the melodramatic side, which I do love, it talks about also Lola and like um, Marshall and how they kind of got away with everything. And that this is sort of Briny's way of being like, when I'm dead and you're dead and you can't fucking sue me for libel, I'm going to expose everything and say what terrible people you are. And, you know, finally give back to my sister, the thing that I took from her. And I think it is also a story about sisters. And I don't know. I, I, I probably missed out on a few things here, but I just, I really love this novel. I think it's emotionally touching. I think it's horrific. Because to die the way that Bryony ends up supposedly dying in the book is just, to me, poof, heavy, heavy stuff, brother. Yeah, the the thing I found interesting is how life events can are so fragile, and mm. a lot of life events are just based on words. So, like, 
it's so interesting how people can be swayed one way or another on words and how the words of a child, the words of a child or the words of a peer or the words of a parent or the words of anyone really. Right. So I just, I find it really interesting that one event can change the course of your life forever. It's scary and it's, it's interesting and thrilling and especially in dark times like World War II, you know, this was this in the beginning of this novel, it's taking place that World War II is kind of like a joke to everyone. It's not really going to be a thing in England. Like it's not really going to happen. They talk about that. Like England's not going to get involved. Yeah. Pipe down Hitler. Yeah. It's kind of how we thought of COVID when it first came, like when we (laughs) first saw COVID and we were like, whatever, that's going to blow over real fast. And then it was like six months in and everything shut down in the world. But what I found interesting was, I think Bryony is an interesting character in this, even though she's not like a main character, but she is. It's weird. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the couple is like the main characters, but Bryony is really guiding the story. Yeah. It's in, in like a background situation. And she, at first I thought she was just like lying, but then I realized she's not really lying. It's more of just like, what she believes mm-hmm. as a 13-year-old girl. Also, these cops just believe a 13-year-old girl's story is bizarre. No check for know. evidence. But anyway. It was the, the 30s. <laughs> she was <yeah>. rich. <laughs> Thir- 1930s England, and he's a poor yeah. house boy that like house boy. out. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> the, the mice from Cinderella dress him every day to get to med yeah. school. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he was fighting an uphill battle. It was amazing that the family was willing to help him through medical school and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think he had a house of cards that just was waiting to fall. Yeah. And it yes. was, like I said, it was crazy that everything happened. What I find crazy, and they don't really describe this in the book, I don't think, but in the movie it, it's in there, and maybe they do describe it in the book, but when they come back from the woods looking for the kids, and they're all, like, interviewing everyone... And they do this pan in the movie of everyone like waiting around to see what's happened. And Benedict Cumberbatch character is just Ugh. sleeping on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I'm fine. I don't remember where Mar- like, And also the audible, his name was Paul Marshall. And I always kept thinking they were saying poor Marshall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so, Marshall, darling. Oh, poor Marshall. I fi- um, so... I have a. They, I don't think they really described this very well, but maybe you can interpret the scene of events. Did Lola know what was happening? Did she know who it was? I think she did. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty clear that like she was just, she, and that's why I say like I think that was handled better in the book only because you have so much internal dialogue that's happening and it it has more breath to kind of do that. And I think it's a very hard task to give 15 and 13 year old actresses that direction, but she didn't, she didn't know how to process what she was doing. And sometimes like blaming somebody else is kind of easier and it takes the honest off of you. And when Bryony decided to take the lead on it, she was just more than happy to just not have to be the center of all that attention and to just, you know, go into, you know, freeze mode, basically. So Lola's, Lola's very interesting. And I think it's, it's handled really well in the book because of that. I I don't think it was handled poorly in the movie. I just think that getting a little bit more of that background and getting the understanding from both Bryony and um, Lola, knowing what a hard and precarious situation that is, that it, it, 
came off a little bit better. But yeah, no, I, I just I feel for Lola. And then at the end, I don't feel for Lola. Yeah, that's what I didn't understand. So then she marries him. Yeah. But I mean, like, this is like a time period, like, because they even say when Bryony sure. goes to, um, and not to say that, I think like it's, and I don't want to speak for abuse, because I don't know very well. And I know that's a very uh, fickle topic for a lot of people. But sure. yeah. marrying your abuser isn't like that hard of an ideology. And like, he probably yeah. was like, still on her, because he got away with it twice, technically, because he abused her before the dinner, when she was in a room and had all the yeah. Chinese burns. And he had a scratch on his face. And that kind of goes to back to the class differences that one note I do want to make is that they're all from not old money. All -hmm. of them are self-made, but generation are so deep that it Mm -hmm. still has that class divide, but it's not to be like they're lords or ladies. So that it's kind of interesting to think about that too, because that's a dynamic in British culture that I'm not really vetted to talk about, but it's still like these are people that are snobs. So they're more willing to yeah. look at Paul Marsh- Marshall, the chocolatier, as like, you know, a man who's making something of himself and probably had some place that he came from versus someone who's the easy one to target and the lackey, which is the guy whose mom is the housemaid and does tarot readings right. on the side, you know. As right. much as they right. like him, it's always sort of like that one moment of like, oh, he's a little bit presumptuous to think he can just walk on in here, this lower class gentleman, you know. And he moved through the world not thinking about that until it slapped him across the face at that one moment when they needed somebody to be the victim or not the yeah. victim, the, the you know, the maniac. So, and it also shows too is that like, aren't we all little children on the inside, just constantly afraid of doing something wrong and creating fantasies in our minds and using like the boogeyman and the people that we know in our lives to create this seeming world of like how everything works and how who's who's bad who's good so i don't know i just i really like this novel i'm trying to think if there's anything i missed out i did find out and this was a surprise to me that the book originally was going to be a sci-fi book i don't know how i know how the fuck he was gonna do that you could just make this story in any time piece i feel like though of just like yeah because it does do i mean this is Time being charged with something that they didn't do. Right. Yeah. Just kind of like one person's perspective of seeing it a certain way and taking their word for it. And then it's all of a sudden another series of events that happen from that one event. Yeah. Well, just like how things kind of compound it. like, And also exactly. why saying like, I'm not guilty sometimes makes you more guilty. So it's almost like yeah. you, you you can't escape it. It's just going to become your label. So it's sort of like being said to be on Epstein's list. how do you prove you're not (laughs) you can't i was Um, not on epstein's list yeah the other thing that i found out real quick was that ian McEwen got into a little bit of trouble for friendly plagiarism oh lovely (laughs) just just a smidge apparently he possibly i think he did admit to kind of softly (laughs) plagiarizing no time for romance it was the part of the book where it was i think from briny's perspective about nursing i think he took that from somebody it was a female author whose name escapes me at the moment but yeah ian no 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 i understand you can't speak from a woman's perspective in 1930 whatever but it's hard it's It's hard but you're up for the task be the be the chocolatier that makes chocolate out of Soybeans. No, don't be the chocolatier. Don't be the chocolatier. Don't be poor 
Poor Marshall, the abuser Poor Marshall or Wonka. Fuckbag. Yeah, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet as Hubert... <laughs> what's his name? What's the guy's name that plays Paul Marshall in the movie? Cumberbatch? Benedict Cumberbatch. I struggle with that name. I know. I have to, like, really... I have to prepare myself to say it. Yeah, you have to say it like Benedict Cumberbatch. I want an eggs Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> I do it, but don't come in my batch. <laughs> he was very creepy in this movie. Yeah. Not, yeah. I loved the description of Paul Marshall in the book. They were just like, he could have been handsome, but his face is jacked up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I like, know. It looked like a crowded room. I was like, oh, shit. I want to point out one other thing about this story in general, too, which I found interesting, is they lead you down this way of you're reading the book or watching the movie or whichever it is. They lead you down a way that he's in World War, you know, in Dunkirk, World War II. She's a nurse. But they somehow get back together at some point. Mm. And Bryony goes to Celia to apologize. And Robbie's there. And they have this big fight. And it's five years later. And he's pissed at Bryony and all this stuff. There's this big scene about them fighting in the apartment. Celia's apartment. And cut to all of a sudden 1999. And you find out that that whole scene that you read was false. And they never really got back together. They both died in the war. Well, he died in of um, septicemia. Septicemia. Yeah. And then she was kind of in a bunker or some some sort of tunnel that got collapsed in on. Yeah. So she kind of wrote this story to kind of create a world where they were together. Yeah. But while you're reading it, you take it for truth. Like you just assume this is where the story's been going. But it's very well written in the way of like you believe that this is actually the series of events. Mm-hmm. You don't think for a second that it's not. Um, so that was a kind of a cool twist ending, I thought. I thought they did that really well because it's basically the first two parts of the, the book is the book that Briny Tallis wrote. Yeah. So the third part, when he gets to it, she's just like, that was a lie. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that I never had the courage to do what I should have done, which was go confront my sister. Yeah. And I, I also loved how when she wrote about it, she allowed them to lambast her for what she did that she that in a lot of ways as much as she wanted to bring them together she kind of wanted them to punish her for what she did too and i think i love that because as a having as a human with a consciousness it's something it's a needling thing is like we all lay down at the end of the night and think about all the fucked up things we've done and how awkward we are or whatever that to live out that fantasy of when somebody tells you off or does whatever to kind of absolve you of what you've done i think they did it she did it really well to write a story that wasn't necessarily a happy ending but it was a happy ending for them because it never got to happen and for her and for her so she she could just say i I took it they yelled at me i i am no longer living with this mysterious guilt that no one knows why i feel bad and i think she wanted some closure and this helped a little bit you know definitely and i liked how to like in the book she says how how what was I going to say? Basically that she could have written the sad ending, which was the truth. 
Yeah. But she didn't think it was like, what does that do for people? You know what I mean? Like, why should we like life's too short? Like, why not have even though it's not pure happiness and that he never got accused of rape and her sister and him never had to go through war trial troubles. But at the same time, they still got to be together in this imagination of hers. And in a lot of ways, too, she talks about how being a writer is almost like being like a god. So by doing that, she did create a world where they got to be together. So maybe that's where the sci-fi is. It's almost like the end of San Junipero, where their consciousness gets to live on in AI format together. Before we get into the movie part, I have a couple quick questions for you. First, obviously, this movie kind of focuses in on or this book focuses in on the fact that it's Bryony's fault of everything that happened mm-hmm. who would you put the blame on but that's what i'm saying this book is everyone shared everyone fucked up in that's their own way saying. and it all kind of adds up so like it seems like it's hers she's the one who's feeling the most guilt for what happened because she yeah. lied to the police or she didn't lie but she like she wanted to believe what she wanted to believe at that time yeah because she wanted and, everything to neatly fit together, like her play. But I, but I, you could blame the twins for running away. You could blame how the, about uh, the chocolatier for she, the chocolatier. <laughs> that's that's who, who gets just, the like, blame. Who just sat by his side? It was like, I mean, everybody's saying Robbie, so I guess it's Robbie. <laughs> I didn't like his face. I'll is keep handsome. drinking my. I'll keep drinking my famous chocolate martinis over here. <laughs> my rum swizzles. Um, yeah, fuck that guy. That guy's the one who's to blame fuck for it. Fuck that guy. Fuck that fuck guy. That, that guy. is, that's the only, and then he gets rewarded by becoming, like, filthy rich and knighted. And then marries the girl. Yeah. I don't, crazy. Like, uh, boo. Uh, fuck that guy. That's the one who gets he, the blame. He's, like, the villain of the story. Yeah. Oh, God, I hated him. Second <laughs> thing, second question. Why isn't any of the family invite, invited to this wedding? Because, like, it was already, like, (laughs) (laughs) gajillion monologues that were in this novel. I think more than anything, because they were, it's almost like they were admitting to their own guilt by getting married. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. And it was, like, already a private affair. There was enough issues with the family, with the divorce between Hermione, which is the mom, and the father and like all the other components to it. But I think more than anything, it's because it, it was it was born out of abuse. She's too young still. There's something there's something really off about this wedding. And it seems more rushed yeah. because on top of it, it's a means for him to prevent ever being accused of it. Because when you're married to somebody, you can't be charged or at least then you can't charge your um, your spouse. Yeah. yeah so. Interesting. And third and final question, should we be taking evidence from 13-year-old statements? <laughs> I think Jealous we should believe women, <laughs> Jimmy. I should definitely say that. But um, Jealous 13-year-olds. Uh, 13-year-old girls, I don't know. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's definitely... No, I know. I, I mean, evidence... I do feel that feel bad for Bryony for the most part. Through yeah, this because... You want to feel bad for Robbie, but like you end up feeling bad for Bryony. Yeah, Bryony. when no, they kind of fight Briny, the most Robbie beautiful Bryony, name Bryony, as the French Brawny, the Brawny man. Yeah. Um, no, I I feel bad for her. I do because I I think she doesn't understand. And I think she just continued to allow herself to assume she did, which is, I think, 
that limbo that you're in between childhood and adulthood is making assumptions, trying to be like adults, but you're not an adult because you don't have experience and you don't have, because she even says that she, he's like, well, why now? And she's like, I grew up. And yeah. you, you understand the complications of human emotion and just how people are and that it's not, love isn't cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's not, you know, whatever the play is that she has, the trials of Arabella. It's not that simple. And she realizes that and she grows into it. But at that point in time, she's dabbled in adult affairs too much. And I really do feel bad for her because I think she believed herself. And she just wanted to do the yeah. right thing. And, you know, an authority figure comes over and says, what did you see? You're going to want to please them and say, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. It was the man I, in the library. Yeah. I think um, <laughs> apologizing is one of the hardest things. Exactly. And I think and, the thing that she did wrong was waited so long. Yeah, I agree. I just, I don't think she knew what she knew at that time. Mm. But also, once you do know, it's very difficult still to even apologize. And even when you do apologize, is that person going to accept that apology? Yeah. So it's like a two-way street that you don't know how it's going to go. Exactly. Apologies are hard. They're very yeah. hard. And there's there's good ones and there's bad ones. And I think what she ended up writing for herself was a good one because she just sat and took it. Yep. <laughs> she wasn't like, well, let me give you 32 um, chapters about my internal monologue. But in yeah, a I'm way, glad she didn't she write it did. like... I'm glad she didn't write, like, I went over and apologized, and they accepted me back into their arms. Yeah. And everything was forgiven. And then we you know? all walked through the poppy fields together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she wrote in a, prop- a proper apology. She did, and gave herself a lot of crow to eat. So, I like I said, it just, to me, this is a really, it really gets me. And let's go into the movie, because this movie, yeah. I cried again watching it. Yeah, okay, so... Movie, Atonement, uh, released in 2007, directed by Joe Wright. Uh, actors are Kiera Knightley, James McAvoy, Sir Ronan, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Juna Temple, who's from Ted Lasso, actually. She plays Lola. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I never watched Ted Lasso, but I know that name, and now it's all coming together. Yeah, very good. Rotten Tomatoes, 83 by the critics, 80 by the audience. It's won two Golden Globes, uh, one for Best Original Score, one for Best Motion Picture back in 2008. I surprisingly really like this movie. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think this was going to be Normally when Kelly movie. tells me to watch a movie, I, I just well, tighten my wait, butthole. And... So here's what happened. I, I read some of the book, and then I watched the movie, so I thought I knew what it was about, but I didn't know what it was really about. Mm. And then I watched the movie, saw the whole movie, and then I finished the book. And I really liked that series of events that I did because I didn't know where the movie was going to go. Yeah. And I ended up really enjoying it. The, the beginning's a little slow, but it really picks up very well, I think, especially when he goes off to war. I think it's very well done. I think the movie's very beautiful. I think it, the cinematography is beautiful. The sound, the sound effects are beautiful. The scoring is beautiful. How's Kira um, Knightley for you? Oh, fine. <laughs> and her, she has like this weird. I do like her, but she has she an talks age. She kind of like this. She I d- yeah, it's her, her jaw. Her jaw. Her jaw. She, like, sticks I was it out tra- like this. I was trying to explain that to Nikki, and I was like, "It's just the way she speaks. Uh, just go, Robbie. Don't." <laughs> Don't let it get to you. Come back to me, Robbie. 
Uh, oh, I missed that tie-in though by for the book where Cecilia says that to Briny first, and then yeah. she says it to Robbie. So another thing from the book, just gonna say, but uh, uh, jaw acting for Kira Knightley. So I like Kira Knightley as an actress. I think she's a fine actress. I just when we talked about this before, but when the Pirates of the Caribbean came out, she was like, I was in high school, I think, and. She was, like, the actress at mm. that time. Like, people were obsessed with her. All the guys were obsessed with her. I just didn't see the hype, you know? And this movie, like, helped me realize why I didn't see the hype. You know? It's the same. I think she looks great in a green dress. I don't know what you're talking about. She's fine. <laughs> um, I will say, she, did you ever see Black Swan? Yes. So I think about that movie a lot. I have to rewatch it soon. But I always I have remember. To it too. Yeah, I think it's on HBO right now or Netflix, something. I always think about how there's that issue for Natalie Portman's character where they're like, "You're perfect for the white swan, but can you play the black swan?" Yeah. And I think a lot about that for like just in terms of acting and performances because sometimes I think actresses get cast in a role to do the innocent role or the bad role. But mm-hmm. can they do the other three quarters of that character with as much oomph and gumption? And I think Kira Knightley played this the priggish, uh, aristocratic. Er- <laughs> I'm American, the chic and posh uh, girl, the love interest. But I didn't really know how she planned out in a few other aspects of that part. Yeah, like- so funny story, actually, that you bring that up. I saw this as one of my fun facts that the director, Joe Wright, originally wanted Kara Knightley to play Briny in, yeah, in her late teens. Oh. But Knightley immediately liked the character of Cecilia and also wanted to get away from playing girls on the brink of womanhood and play a more <laughs> mature character. <laughs> she so. was like, I don't want love actually again. Yeah. If someone she, comes up to me with a cardboard, I want it to say, cunt. <laughs> I don't well, want it to say to me, you are perfect. It's also funny you mentioned Natalie Portman because they actually cast Kiara Knightley as... So Natalie Portman in Star Wars Episode One plays Princess Leia, or Princess Leia. Um, Amidala. Yeah, and she has a like a, like a kind of like a double, and it's played by Kiara Knightley. Mm-hmm. So, very similar actresses. I could, yeah, but. they're definitely in the same auditioning room, I think. At least during that time period, I could definitely see them as kind of interchangeable. Because they both have, like, that very moody acting. But I will say, I think Natalie Portman's the better actress. Oh, I agree. I think she is. It's that jaw. It's that jaw. <laughs> Ooh, man. I watched a movie with her recently in it, and she was working that jaw. You would have fucking hated it. I didn't even finish it. And I don't yeah, dislike I don't, her. I like her, I, as a matter of fact. I, I don't dislike Kara Knightley. It's just, I don't know. And, like, even in this movie, it was very, like, uh, just go. <laughs> like, a lot of that. Yeah. Which I think is appropriate for this timepiece, yeah. you know, of a movie. But, side all that, I love James McAvoy as an actor. He's so, and I would not He's have cast so good. him as what I would have yes. pictured Robbie as. Me but too. He, this man is so fucking winning. He is such a charming, wonderful yeah. actor. Like, really effervescent i can't say enough things about him i think he's excellent and i think he played this role amazing for something i wouldn't have cast him as 
Yeah, I expected him to be like taller. I yeah, guess. like I don't know, manlier. There's something like kind of he's yeah. like he's like the good version of Toby Maguire. Yes, yes, that <laughs> is like, the best way to put it. That there's is the best something way to put slight it. and tiny about him, and I don't know how he got into that audition, but like give him it all because you know what scene got me was the one where he goes into the he, him and the two guys are in France and they're going through the woods and his one guy oh, chucks yeah. his shoes into the woods and he goes after the shoes and for a second just like the field yeah and he has yeah. that one second of bliss of like I'm at peace I'm not going to be bombed yes. and yes. the lighting changes to like look like the earlier film when he was on the the Talis household and it's just like a different movie again and then it goes back to the blue lighting and he notices it's just all these dead girls on the ground oh yeah and then so he just starts crying goosebumps. I have goosebumps uh, but goosebumps. also I mean I know the Nazis were very organized but it seemed like a very random place to just bring a bunch of schoolgirls <laughs> to go yeah. get shot I know but oh god it was it was so rough. I know. Uh, Saoirse Ronan as Briny, fantastic. Uh, this was her first Love. big movie. I think her first movie. So she was, I have this in my fun facts as well. She was 12 years old when production began, and she was nominated for the Oscar by the time she was 13. Wow. And she won Best Newcomer, I guess. She's, I mean, years old. to play that role, I think was very hard. And I think she did an excellent job. And I also yeah. want to thank the filmmakers for making that hairstyle that she wore from 13 to 79. Yeah, <laughs> relevant. I know. They, they did it well. Also, Continuity. You know, I, want, I don't know the actress that played the older Briny, but I thought she was very good, too. Yeah, especially with the scene with the French soldier. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I have that listed as in my notes, that scene. I was watching it, and she he, he mentions that the bandage is tight on his head. And I know she's going to take it off, and I know I'm going to see something graphic. Uh. And I was prepping myself for it. But for some reason, it still startled me when it came to, like, just the piece of skull coming away from the head. Oh. I was like, uh, uh, uh. Put it back, put it back. She just pats it back on, like, oh, nothing to see here. That <laughs> just scene brains. just, I don't know why that scene just got me. Just knowing so there were human. guys that were in this situation. It was so, yeah, and just, like, her holding, oh, God, I can't even talk about it. Her holding his hand. This movie just got me. I don't know what it was, but I could have done more. I could have got to, like, the crime earlier and done more war nurses and you know, um, <laughs> James McAvoy in war times. Um, yeah. They did, I thought they did a beautiful, beautiful scene of Dunkirk, mm-hmm. of where the one shot from start to finish of James McAvoy's trying to find some water, they don't cut once. They go through the whole scene to up until when he sees the French film in that back room of the bar or whatever. But it's a solid, like, five, ten minutes of one cut. Maybe even longer, actually. Yeah, of one it's take, basically, of yeah. just, like, a panoramic view of, like, what's happening on Dunkirk. And I think, I'm sorry, I know you're a Nolan boy, but I think this <laughs> was, I think this was the best depiction of Dunkirk I've ever seen I, or ever will I see. I agree. I mean, yeah, I love my Nolan, but this was very well done. It was yeah. very tasteful. You saw everything that was happening. You saw guys getting in bar fights. You saw people taking away, taking apart cars for parts. You saw 
people waiting in line. You saw people burying people. You saw people starting fire. Like you saw everything that was happening on that beach and just knowing nobody's coming for you. I, I will, and oh my God. I just thought it was so, this movie is good. I mean, if you don't want to read the book, watch the movie. It's good. It's a it, good movie. Yeah. I mean, it was a, an Academy Award nominated. I, it didn't yeah. win an Oscar. It did didn't. It, it didn't. No, but it, it was didn't. nominated but it's for nominated. a bunch. Yeah. But I mean, um, what a beautiful film. Like, as I said, I saw the movie first and I was like, I have to read this book because it hit every everything for me especially emotionally like i like a good emotional manipulation like this yeah. is like a very simple story in so many ways done so well in that it was given so much humanness and and depth and understanding and motives but reading it was also just like then you got so much more of the internal lives of what was happening and it made me understand to the ending a little bit better because when it first goes from Bryony getting railed by like verbally by Robbie and then it suddenly cuts to the movie screens I remember first watching that and being like wait what it was so jarring as an image because like you've been in you know like the 30s so much right. and like right. England is not a way that we all picture England as to just suddenly just see um, a whole shot of just a bunch of TV screens. And yep. I mean, when you find out what happens, it's just, it's just that much more devastating. And like, it honestly brings me to tears each time because I think what a, what a terrible punishment. It was almost like a Greek play of how everybody got yeah. punished so terribly in this book yeah. for something that wasn't that seemingly, it was seemingly so innocent. Yeah, it was so, it was very tragic. So tragic. And like I said, very well done. I think it's, I think it's a very beautiful movie. You know what I liked that they kept adding was the typewriting background too. I don't know and if I liked you, that. it. Was, I, I don't was know. Like, I liked it. It keeps me on like edge, like these intense scenes. Like, yeah, it's almost like she's writing his life story for him Ooh. that he didn't agree to, and like she's typing these events happening as they're happening. And technically she is, right? She's writing the story at the same time. That's that's a clever takeaway because like if you do think about it, maybe in a way they're trying to do that sound because this whole thing is fiction. Is a story. Yeah, yeah. it's a story. So this um, is her writing it out. Wow. I think they, you know, obviously you get the internal monologue of the book, which I'll give credit to the book on, but I think it's I think they kept everything that they should keep in the movie. Mm. It converting it and i it's like i said it's gonna be difficult to do internal monologues on a movie like this but i think they do a good job at showing the internal struggles of i can't think of her name but Kara knightley's character mm -hmm. and robbie and and briny all three of them their relationship i think they did a really good job at showing what their relationship was yes. really like i think so too because like that's why it's such a crazy thing that they adapted this because for something that's so verbal and written and wordy yeah. to take it and make it something that and that's the only way I think that you can do something like this is you take the emotional aspects of it and you have to give a lot of credit to your actors to portray every single like facial expression and give that sense of like tension building and they really did that and I think also the lighting really helped and like the way that it was shot because it was misleading to see how beautiful and almost like you know like a instagram filter the first part of the movie was of like everything's beautiful everything's fine this is just posh england you have no idea what this is about and then getting into the griminess of the blue colors and the saturation in the second part of war and just the, the 
violence. They show a lot of gratuitous stuff, like horses being shot, brains, yeah, people well, that's with, what I was you know say. being cleaned up by nurses. That's what I was gonna say too. The the movie was appropriately gory. Yeah. Which is a weird adjective for a movie, but it's like the appropriate amount of gore that you would want in a kind of a war yeah. love story movie, I guess. Without but being over the top and like sensationalized. Exactly. All these explosions. There wasn't like a lot of explosions and stuff. There was some gunfire. You heard bombs um, on Dunkirk Beach and stuff like that. But the scenes that got me were the real nursing scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, those felt really real. It's also an interesting take because I don't think we ever really hear too often the perspective of nurses, especially during World War II, and that yeah. these are like young girls that are cleaning up young boys and everyone's just broken. Yep. My one little part with the movie that I didn't care for was I don't think the time jumps were done very well. So when you, because I could tell they were trying to go from one character's perspective to another character's perspective, and yeah. you didn't know they were switching. Yeah. So there's a scene where Karen Knightley jumps into the water and is all pissed off at Robbie, runs back into the house. Then it cuts to her grabbing the vase inside. And how she I thought got it was to a, that. Yeah, I thought it was a different vase. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Nikki, uh, me and Nikki were watching it. And we're like, is she dry already? I don't understand. <laughs> but we didn't realize it like jumped back. To do yeah. The scene over from Bridie's pr- perspective. Yeah. I they did that a lot. They were trying to do almost like what the book did, which was the like... The book did it too. Yeah, yeah, the book did it too. And I think it made more sense in the course of the novel just because of how... Sure. You could follow it a little bit easier. You can. And you're not... I don't think you're ever really supposed to follow it to the point where you know exactly who it's there and you know what's happening step by step. I think the whimsy of it is that Ian McEwan leads you through the mundane and like yeah. small little things that sometimes you kind of get lulled into thinking nothing really bad's going to happen, but then the tension starts building again and something happens. But the yeah. movie trying to capture that was just confusing. And I mean, there's some context clues like Kira Netley is dry and this is, yeah, and I don't think they the had the, uh, the powerful hair dryers back then to really. Yeah, exactly. Dry we were her. just like, we were like, did she change her clothes? Like, I don't understand what happened, <laughs> but that was like my only little. It's, flaw, that's what's so nice about having a Bob. Acting was great. Like what you were saying, how they edited certain things. Like I'm a purist in that I love the fullness of the story, and I, I it would be hard for me to write the screenplay and not want to cut. Like I, I wouldn't want to cut things out because I think all of it works so well as like a symphony of words, beautiful mm-hmm. words. I mean, the man's. I think he's an exceptional writer. I loved how he wrote. I loved mm-hmm. the satire, the wit sometimes, um, and just the the emotional honesty. I think it's really hard to capture people's subconscious thoughts. But um, I think what they did with the movie, though, was they did pick out the parts that they needed to that worked. And I think they did that with the ending. Some things I think it leaves you hanging with, but then maybe just read the book if you want to know what else happens to people. But the movie, at least, is just sort of like, hey, are you prepared for me to kick you right in the crotch? <laughs> <laughs> I I would say I'd recommend this movie to people. Ooh, I am so glad. You, I was I hoped you would like it. Because I At feel first like I was war. Like, uh, whatever, and then it just it started getting me though. I got me in, and I was like hooked. I yeah. don't know. I I was into it. I liked how it wrapped it up at the end. You know, it's a little different from the book, but I thought it was pretty close. Pretty on a little different. Close to what? Yeah, the major. She doesn't parts. go back home or anything, but yeah, it's fine. 
though but, that was sweet in the book that yeah. they put on the play for her that never got to be made. Oh man, I thought it was a little cheesy, but oh, all right. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> Fine, let's put on the play for Grandma. Oh, Grandma's losing her fucking mind. Let her live her life. And just like, and just the reality is like people died. Like one of the twins died. Her brother. Yeah. Like everyone yeah, like remarried 13 times. It was, yeah, it was interesting yeah. to see where everyone landed at the end of this. That everyone kind of carried their own guilt and shame because everyone was affected by that day. I do have for the book or movie, whichever, alternate plot lines. <gasps> That I kind of wish were included or changed. So a couple things. One, I wish they showed the trial of him on trial. Oh, you would want this... that added? It's not in book or movie. Yeah. I know. That's what I'm saying. I want it added. <laughs> you didn't have enough uh, narration in this book. You're like, well, I just think uh, I want to know more about the pre- British court system, please. It's a pretty serious accusation. I'd like to see <laughs> this is Briny- like a courtroom drama. I'd like to see Briny in the stands when he's being tried for this case, and oh. them, them, her on the witness stand. Oh, okay. I yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious how that panned out, but I think they left that out also because there was already too much stuff being like, why did that? Of course. I'm yeah. not. I'm not giving any passes to Ian or anything like that. I liked where they. I'm left just saying. Them. All right. No, all right. I, Listen, it's fine. You're a man after um, justice. I can't fault you for that. Him in prison. Ooh. Add some him in prison. Oh. You want just more gritty male stuff. You want like, you want Law and Order SVU. Well, you I'm want... surprised they're not, I'm surprised they didn't add that of them writing letters back and forth from prison before he goes off to war. Yeah, listen. Him deciding if he wants to go to war or stay in prison. Okay. It sounds like, like you that. can write a book. Yeah, I can, I'm almost there. <laughs> I, I might have to pull an Ian move and just plagiarize most of this book. <laughs> Just add a couple things. Oh, how about this? Okay, hit me. Briny pulls like a saving private Ryan and was like, okay, I'm going to apologize to my sister by bringing Robbie home. And she goes off on like an adventure to find him. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why she got into nursing. She was just like, they're going to have to send me out in the field. I thought that's why at first. I thought that's why she got into nursing. But then she would have to cut her hair. And she, she wouldn't men- be briny anymore. She mentions it a couple of times about like how she thought she saw him come into the room. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So I think she was hoping that she would see him come in. Yeah. she There was a hope definitely to like kind of be there for him and save him. So he could be like, oh, okay. And then my last one is the whole thing was made up. The whole thing was a book <gasps> by Bryony. She wrote the whole thing from the moment the vase broke and then saw it from the window and created this whole story. And they the never loved breaking. each other? Maybe. <gasps> he never wrote a letter? He never wrote the He C never wanted his wet... <laughs> those, are my, those are my ideas. Listen, I, I could take all these spinoffs. This, this is a beautiful world that we're building of just yeah. courtroom drama. Add know. more courtroom drama. My fun facts, I talked about... Kara Knightley wanting to play Cecilia and Saoirse Ronan winning the Oscar nomination. But when this movie was filmed, there was only eight UK military ambulances left from World War II. And the, this movie used all eight of them. <laughs> they were just circulating all eight. Yeah, that's it. There's only eight left. And then the last one is James McAvoy said this is 
he considers this this the script. James McAvoy considered the script the best he's ever read. Oh, yeah. I, was um Ian McEwan involved with the script writing? Let's say. I'm curious. I feel like his hand was in there. It does say writers Ian McEwan. Yeah, but so. they tend to do that whenever it's based they on usually a novel. Just add that. I'm never sure. Yeah. And also, like, yeah, sometimes so, they'll say the author sure. was involved with the screenplay, and I don't think they really are. But, um, yeah. Oh, would you change up the cast at all? Like I said, like, I did not picture McAvoy in that role, but I don't want to change him with how that movie ended up being. Because he's No, just, I agree. I picture yeah. him like a Robert Pattinson. <gasps> okay. Jimmy, what if this is actually... <laughs> Briny Talis is actually one of the <laughs> James McElvoy's personality from the movie Split. Oh, now we're talking. <laughs> now you're talking plot lines. Turning into the movie Identity, where she's killing off in her brain the different personalities that she has yep. that yep. she feels guilted by. Yep. So that and then like Briny goes to war in one of the eight World War II ambulances and it blows up. And now she takes thinking. three horses with her. Do you have a pen and paper right now? I, I pff, <laughs> listen, <laughs> voice notes, baby. <laughs> Ian, uh, Mickey, yeah. and we might be taking some notes off of yours, but we're going to write this. Call it's us. Happening. Um, we're plagiarizing, but it seems it like you're, a, you're, you're game for that. So what's might mine is yours. A, we might turn it into a sci-fi. <laughs> we're going to go back to the original version yeah. of this. Briny in space doing the Eras tour. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, and that's atonement for you. There's some books I would definitely recommend, though. Yeah, go for it. Before we all get vascular dementia, read up, babies. Mrs. Dalloway, I think, would be definitely something along those lines. Remains of the Day, which is one of my favorite authors, is Kazuo Ishiguro. Some people reference Never Let Me Go in relation to this, but I think Remains of the Day is a little bit more close to this book. Then I said The Sense of an Ending. I think his name is James Barn. I didn't love it, but this is definitely the same kind of vibe as Atonement. And then randomly, I said Lord of the Flies, because Ooh. I think this is an interesting take on war and mm-hmm. the limits that we go as people. And, and, and the internal things that push us to finally get to the really icky parts of our lives. Yeah. I only had one movie recommendation, and it was Pride and Prejudice, because... Because <laughs> Keira Knightley's jaw is still working. <laughs> and it's the same director. Yes! So, he loves him some Keira Knightley. He does. So that is his muse. if you like this style of movie, go watch Pride and Prejudice, which is also a Listen, book, so... Yeah, maybe we'll do it one day. I've seen... I know that movie well. Me and my bangs. I want to do Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That absolutely, the fuck not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that could be a Patreon video where we do Pride and Prejudice and then the Patreon is with zombies. And zombies. And zombies. Um, Yeah. You didn't want to recommend Dunkirk? Dunkirk. uh, I also had Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. It's it's my favorite war movie of all time. And it's about a guy lost in war. So, um, I'm a big fan of that. Maybe yeah, also Predator. <laughs> Predator. <laughs> More war movies. G.I. Uh, Jane. Keep going. Black Hawk Down. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all I have. 
That's, I think we, I think we just did what we had to do for the country of England. So I salute you, Churchill. You saved us. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for Churchill. Thank God you racist piece of shit, but you were, you were the kind of piece of shit we needed. Yeah, we needed that. Yeah. Keep following us on (laughs) all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Anything else, Kel? Uh, there's other social medias out there. They'll find us if they want to find us. It's That's out there. True. You know, the truth is out there. Yeah. We'll keep you posted on if we do a book day like we did our movie day. Ooh, yeah. We goes. can organize that. There's also next month is going to be Fifty Shades of Grey. And then yep. March, we are announcing that the book is going to be called Cuckoo's Calling. Are the Cuckoo's Calling? Yeah. Okay. Cuckoo's calling. The Cuckoo's Calling. Yeah. Check my caller ID. I, I forget so. the pen name, but it's actually J.K. Rowling who wrote yes. this. So that's her. Which I didn't series. realize at first. Yeah. Yeah. Which J.K. Rowling is already kind of a pen name, but whatever. Do you, girl? And then I think we have a few other books, but we'll we'll post that shortly on social media. All right. Well, until then, James, keep reading movies. Keep watching books. Bye. Bye.